It's the start of 2021, and despite positive movement on COVID-19 vaccines, there are still so many unknowns, a major one being travel, and when people might be able to see their loved ones again. I hope this episode will be of comfort, as well as a fun ride, as we explore the ways that books, music and art can take us on journeys without even leaving our homes. I had the joy of reading Rebecca Solnit's book recently, Recollections of My Non-Existence, and I wanted to open with this passage for you. I loved the physical objects that are books, and still do. The codex, the box that is a bird, the door into a world, still seems magical to me, and I still walk into a bookstore or library convinced that I might be on the threshold, that will open up onto what I most need or desire. And sometimes, that doorway appears. When it does, there are epiphanies and raptures in seeing the world in new ways in finding patterns previously unsuspected, in being handed unimagined equipment to address what arises, in the beauty and power of words. The sheer pleasure of meeting new voices and ideas and possibilities, having the world become more coherent in some subtle or enormous way, extending or filling your map of the universe, is not nearly celebrated enough. Nor is the beauty of finding pattern and meaning. But these awakenings reoccur, And every time they do, there's joy. Let's see what thresholds and doorways we can cross and open today. In this episode, we'll explore travel and Hugh Kenner's concept of the elsewhere community, physical or virtual, collected in a book from his 1997 Massey lectures, exploring the grand tour of the world and the mind. We'll also think about the meaning of home, and the idea of sonic postcards, and how the imagination allows us to roam and connect. Here's Kenner now. This elsewhere combines both virtual and actual presences, all the sorts of things that have populated these talks. They include physical journeys to an elsewhere, in which, like grand tour denizens flocking to Rome, we can imaginatively join communities of the past. And they include great thinkers and artists of our own time who irresistibly draw us into their communities which illuminate our own communities. And none of us can ever know when we ourselves may be fulfilling in our normal lives the role of elsewhere for some visitor we may chance to meet. We'll hear from friends in Ireland and think about Greece, where I would have been if my travel plans had happened last year. You'll even hear the voices of some of my Macedonian family in Australia and how they made their elsewhere community in Melbourne, in their picnics and churches and social clubs, with their fellow villagers from home. I'm John. Also known as Jonas. (laughs) With a Greek passport. My name is Aphrodite and I'm born in Greece and I come here in 1958. I come on the, on been the boat. A long trip. How long did it take you on the boat? One month. One month. 
In this episode, we also chat to the amazing London-based Taiwanese-Australian musician and sound artist Belle Chen about her project Sounds From Home, created during London lockdown in April 2020. And we take a wild ride for the creative segment Things Found in Books with Sophie Livetsanis. This episode is dedicated to my dad Vic, who passed away in 2019, and to his mum Vasiliki, who I never got to meet, and to all others who for whatever reason are separated from home or loved ones. My dad was a homebody. He was born and grew up around Northcote and Fitzroy in Melbourne, but his parents and older brothers had immigrated from Macedonia, or what is now northern Greece, in the 1940s. His one trip overseas was a painful memory. In the 70s, he had travelled to Greece with his mum to see the old village, Neret, her homeland, one more time. But after the long flight, she was not allowed to pass out of Athens airport, and they were sent back. It's still somewhat of a mystery, but something to do with my grandfather's political ties. This is my Uncle John on the complex politics. I'll bring you in a, a bit about politics. You, okay. you might you see that coin is Alexander the Great. Mm-hmm. There's stories he was a Macedonian, the Greeks say he was the Greeks, and this is the emblem people use here. And they got that on the, on the graves' heads and so on. There was a film in the city of the region many, many years ago. The Greeks went and the Macedonians, and they started boxing on in front of the film. One said he's a Macedonian, one said he was a Greek. So you can't win with politics. And so my dad never travelled, but he helped me to from his small funds, sending me around the world from my first trip when I was 19, and in bittersweetness, funds from his estate were to help my travels to Ireland and Greece. I wanted to see where the family came from, a village called Neret in Macedonian, or Polypotamus in Greek, meaning the place where many rivers meet. I wanted to see my friend Chris, my old singing teacher from Brunswick. She runs cultural tours in Athens and the Greek islands, and she would have shown us amazing music, art, nature... I wanted to visit the mythic places that creative people before me had lived and worked, and that I had read about in their books, Charmian Clift and Co in Hydra, Patrick Lee Fermer, and the fragments of Sappho. Listening to some Greek records, I heard a familiar tune, the tune of a treasured little music box that came to me from my maternal grandmother of Scottish background. I can now see it must have been one of her travel souvenirs. Maybe she too had visited Greece. And before exploring family, food and ancient culture in Greece, in Ireland I was to do a program called Open Palace, visiting heritage sites and collections through the country, and ending in Dublin, seeing my colleague Sarah, who both studied mechanics institutes and libraries, and exploring the homeland of Beckett and Joyce. Sarah talks here about some of the places she would have taken me, including Molly, the Museum of Literature Island. I would definitely take you to Molly, for sure. Uh, they have a wonderful um, exhibition featuring James Joyce. It's in a beautiful setting um, of Dublin. It's just across the way from St. Stephen's Green. And then just, you know, walking through Dublin itself, you just come across so many um, literary sites. Um, I lived in I've lived in a number of neighbourhoods in, in Dublin and there's always a house with a plaque to James Joyce um, in, in my local neighbourhood. I keep coming across them, places where he's lived or his, you know, his parents lived. He ate a sandwich here. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. 
Um, yeah, another sort of famous site associated with um, James Joyce is the 40 foot, um, where people go swimming in the sea. Um, so I would take you there. It's a, yeah, it's the, the sea is really icy. Um, as people from Australia, it's a real shock to the system. But on one side, there's sort of steps going down. Um, and then on the other side, you sort of have to plunge into the sea. And when you, when you hit the water, your body basically goes into shock. Um, because it's so cold. Uh, but then you get this rush of endorphins. I think the longest I've managed to stay in is about 10 minutes. Um, before my toes start to freeze off. Um, but people, yeah, it's a real tradition. People, I know people who go every day of the year um, throughout winter. Um, the tradition, tradition of people going on Christmas Day, New Year's Day. Yeah, I think there's a real community that's, that's built around going swimming there. It's really beautiful. I'll have to try that when I come. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So our book seeds here, in addition to Kenner's Elsewhere community, include books that have inspired my desire to dream and travel like those of the writers mentioned here, as well as the books I poured over, The Atlas of Dream Places and The Atlas of Literature. So get comfy and today we travel with music, sounds, books and ideas. One day in 2020, when our main way of getting out of the house and seeing anyone other than your cat was to go walking with a friend. I had just returned to my car after a lake walk with my friend Sharon, a.k.a. Shazlik. You heard her amazing voice singing in the Coles Book Arcade song in the last episode. And in fact, it may have been this very walk that we strolled along Lake Wendery, first attempting to match the lyrics to the tune of Mary Had a Little Lamb, as requested by Cole. But I digress, and go back and have a listen to that if you haven't heard it. So I was sitting in the car when I first heard the amazing sounds of Belle Chen on the radio. I was instantly transported to where, who knows, and that's the magic. But these were those sounds, aquatics, a unique blend of classical and experimental sound, and I gladly made my way down the rabbit hole, and the wonderful ways that Bell has responded to lockdowns and created communities online. Elsewhere communities that might also be called Here Together. My name's Belle, and uh, I'm a pianist, a composer. I work kind of, I'm from a classical music background, that's where my training was, but then I kind of went a bit wild. So the music I create now um, kind of swims between different areas. So it has a bit of electronic, a bit of sound, found sound, a bit of um, improvisation, experimental, kind of extended technique, prepared piano. It kind of sounds classical, kind of neoclassical. It has elements of jazz and uh, a lot of world influences as well. So it's me in a kind of nutshell, really. I was born in Kaohsiung in Taiwan, and um, it's kind of like a port city down south. And throughout my childhood, I grew up in Taiwan, in New Zealand, and in Australia as well. So I'm Australian in the end. <laughs> And um, now I live in London, I live and work in London. And so it's kind of, for me, I've never really gelled with a sense of home, actually. Like, I never felt like anywhere was my home, any specific location. But, you know, I, for me, my home was always where my family physically is or are. Um, and so because of that upbringing, I, I guess I'm quite adaptable, I'm quite sensitive to different cultures and kind of different ways of living and different um, 
different lifestyles, different uh, perspectives as well. And I think that's bled through what I create um, today as well. Definitely. And yeah, I was interested, um, before we get stuck into some of your interesting projects you've been up to, um, what, what has that been like sort of crossing the classical world with the more experimental in terms of music scenes? Oh my gosh, it's so liberating. <laughs> like uh, speaking really honestly, like I think classical music is amazing. It's, it's um, a really, well, it's not particularly ancient like some of the more indigenous traditions, but it is, it's got hundreds of years of um, tradition and study and kind of academic weight behind it, you know, in terms of performance practice and um, when I was training as a classical kind of concert pianist, it was very detailed and really kind of we had to pay a lot of respect to the written music and the study behind the written music. And all of that was fine, but the moment that I crossed over into improv and experimental, suddenly, you know, instead of having to adhere to tradition, the everything I've learned became a tool for me to create in the moment um, and for me that felt more real and yeah much more liberating for sure <laughs> yes yeah, so it sounds like you have a lot of fun <laughs> oh yeah yeah, yeah definitely <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe yeah could you talk a bit about the different instruments that you use yeah uh, so I play primarily on a piano which I often then prepare when I'm performing um, and I prepare these through kind of metal screws uh, blue tech uh, paper foil similar to what John Cage would do um, but uh, in a more kind of um, well the language itself is a bit more uh, neoclassical leaning rather than kind of um, contemporary classical leaning and um, I play also on the synths I have two refaces I use one is a virtual analog synth and another one is an electronic uh, electric piano and there's also a stage piano that I use, the CP88. And then, and then um, I use melodica, pianica, which is a kind of keyboard that I blow into and you can make sound, quite beautiful sounds out of it. And the kalimba, which is a thumb piano. Yeah, the more the merrier. Um, I think for me, it's, I am after the texture, actually. I'm very, um, I get really excited about texture and how it evokes the atmosphere and maybe mimics sometimes the certain sounds I hear in world music as well. I get really excited about that um, because I think sometimes the keyboard family sometimes is seen as a really Western instrument, like really European, um, but it doesn't, it has all this potential of sounding uh, just so otherworldly in a way. I think the moment we had the lockdown, I really, I really struggled um, not being able to be out and connecting with other people and other listeners. And so uh, during this time, I started two projects. The first one was Sounds From Home, um, where I would invite people from around the world to record a snippet of their neighborhood, um, where they are, and share that field recording and a bit of that story with me and then I'll improvise um, 
and create a kind of a sonic postcard uh, to that field recording. And um, the reason I started this is because I was feeling real, really kind of isolated um, and I, was, I just wasn't sure what I was going through um, with this lockdown. And by doing this project, actually, I was able to tune in to what other people's stories are and how they are dealing with the same event, essentially, that's happening around the world. Um, and then in a very surprisingly way, that kind of created a community where people could explore, you know, other people's places and locations and histories and cultures. And um, we ended up accumulating quite a few recordings. There's a map that's been generated. And what's really beautiful about this particular project is that um, we had listeners from, you know, really, really young, like people still studying at school, to people who are working, um, people with families, people in university, people who are retired, um, all sharing kind of their perspective of how they're going through COVID, actually. Um, and uh, yeah, it's still continuing now, which is really amazing. Can you talk about some of your favourite things that were sent in? It's actually really hard. Um, but <laughs> the ones that made the most emotional impact, I suppose, um, there was one sent from a hospital in China, in Nanning. It was uh, from a nurse who was doing a late night shift. And for her, it was a quiet night. And she just wanted to record the sounds of the normal machinery operating. Um, and just uh, her story was about how there was no, you know, urgent care um, or people in ICU that's gone kind of um, into a critical condition. And so she was particularly thankful um, that the beeping of the machine is really rhythmic and predictable in that evening. Yeah, so really quite beautiful things. And then there was one sent from Beirut, actually, that's... Um, by the port before the explosion happened. And that was just, I just, you know, we did this particular segment and we posted this particular segment and then weeks after um, the explosion had happened and that was just so crazy and quite sad actually for me. The, the travel element, um, you know, people get to sort of experience different places through the sounds, but it's also about people connecting in a new way, isn't it? Sharing those stories. Yeah, that's what I love about them the most. I think, um, I think there was a, a mathematician from Canada who connected with um, another maths major that was like studying at a uni in Romania or something through just through the story shared and they're like oh this is so cool amazing and I just love that I think it's awesome so I think found sound has fascinated me for a very long time I think I first started working with captured sound when I was studying at uni which is like a long time now a long time ago and um, I think what fascinates me is the music that can be extracted from these sounds like even the ambulance sirens can be turned into something that's quite um, melodic and I think um, 
what fascinates me is that the sound is really real. Like it doesn't lie. You can't, I mean, you can cling it with EQ and all that and add verb to it. But fundamentally, if you stand at one place and you catch something, you capture something on your Zoom recorder or your phone, that's what the place really is like. It's not photoshopped. It's not, um, it doesn't have any marketing, you know, uh, slogan or angle to it. Um, what you hear is what's actually happening. And for me, sometimes, you know, I used to stand on a random location on the street and just stand there for hours <laughs> and see what will happen actually when I'm there. And sometimes really interesting things will happen that I will want to catch and then share it on stage. Creating these atmospheres, um, how do you, yeah, you were talking about textures as well. How do you kind of work with all those different elements? For me, it's always been really intuitive, I think. Um, I don't know. I think it always starts with the story and the point of inspiration. There's always a moment um, that would touch me that makes me go, oh, I want to catch this, this feeling or the sense of being really isolated um, in terms of the, the sampling of archive, uh, the Apollo 11 mission, that, that sense of being so far and isolated. And that, I think, yeah, I can't explain it, but then I just go down the path of experimenting and then researching and then playing with textures. But yeah, the, the moon spotting, the Apollo 11 NASA sampling track, was uh, inspired by two things, actually, if I was to talk specifically about a track. It's basically when I was young, because I spent a lot of time away from my family, I was always told the story that um, if I ever find myself missing someone, I just need to go outside at night and look up and just look for that moon. And always remember that, uh, you know, whoever that may be missing would be looking at that same moon as well. And in that sense, the world is actually quite small. And whoever that I'm missing is just, a, if they are still alive, <laughs> is a, just a phone call or a flight away. So it's not that far. And so that's really touched me, that particular story of being out at night um, and looking up and just reflecting on just the size of everything. And... So for that, I wanted to catch this feeling and communicate it on stage because um, I, I was playing quite a bit um, and I couldn't find any repertoire in the classical canon that represents how I feel. You know, there's a lot of music being written about the moon by Beethoven, by Debussy, but none of that actually tells a story that is very specific to my experience. And so I started kind of looking into all these different areas of how I could uh, put this point across. And then I started researching into NASA's archival recordings. And um, I remember spending hours and hours listening back and I found this beautiful segment where um, I think it may be Armstrong or Aldrin uh, communicating back and they were talking about this very um, specific Chinese uh, mythology kind of story of the rabbit in the moon. And I think there's something that's so 
beautiful because they're on one of the most important missions of mankind at that time and they are so far away from anyone else. But yet they are sharing this moment which had a childlike and playful um, atmosphere to it, playful emotion to it. And then when I heard it, I knew that was what I wanted. So, yeah, you mentioned earlier about the idea of home. Do you think you've learnt anything new from doing the Sounds From Home project about that idea? I've learnt a lot about perspectives, I think, if that's the right way of describing it. I've, um, to be able to step in someone's shoe for even just for that 30 seconds, I think it's quite powerful. And, you know, I'd be reading... Um, because uh, the submissions are from people who are in such different walks of life that it kind of sometimes reading it makes me reflect on where I am and what I'm doing as well. There's so much to be thankful about. And then similarly, um, there will be maybe a submission from a younger, younger person uh, who is going, oh, this is, you know, we're having so much fun uh, running around in the rain after school. And that kind of sense of freedom also is so so powerful because I read that and I'm like, oh, yeah, I was once like that too. <laughs> Do you know, like I was once out there just completely free and careless. And I think that's there's something quite beautiful about all that. Um, so I can't pinpoint a singular, you know, coherent sentence, but... I think through all these different entries, um, they've all touched me in one way or the other. So, how, yeah, how do you think we can travel with music? In our head, maybe. I think um, imagination is such a, a human quality and maybe to an extent a human advantage, I think, to have an imagination and to be able to see in the mind and sometimes the stimulus may be sound, sometimes it may be a photograph, sometimes it may be a story, like written words, a poem. But anything that triggers the mind to start to imagine, I think it's really powerful. And I think that's what's gotten me through the lockdown, actually, because even though we're physically in one place and we can't move, it doesn't mean that our mind can't explore. So in that sense, I've always hoped that my music can provide that triggering point or stimulus for someone to let their mind wander and explore more and want to connect with other people, I think. Yeah, beautiful. Well, as Belle has spoken of there, and as we heard in her beautiful music, imagination and creativity is a wonderful thing that helps us to connect and journey, even when we can't do this physically. And now, we take that idea and switch things up a bit with the segment Things Found in Books. You'll hear a new intimacy and richness. Things found in books. 
I wish I could find a good book to live in. You, my friends, are in for a treat. A mini radio play mystery murder set on a library cruise ship. But first, it's my pleasure to introduce its creator, Sophie Livetsarnas, for a quick chat. She's a wonderfully unique and versatile artist who has worked across dance, theatre, writing, radio and more. And she chats here about her mixed heritage and her inspiration for her Things Found in Books piece, a kind of pilot she's produced. Admittedly a bit rough, but hilarious to be sure, and the start of more to come. I've got to ask, where where you're from in Greece and if we should be punching on right now? (laughs) (laughs) Well, probably, I reckon. You know, I mean, they all... (laughs) No, I don't think it's like that anymore. Um, I am from a village. My family's from a village called Candilla with a C uh, or a K. It's really weird. (laughs) Um, It's on the west coast of Greece, about halfway up the mainland. And it's... Um, it's really beautiful. It's about 20 minutes from the sea and from a fishing village called Mitikas, which is which is where a lot of uh, my other family are from. So, yeah, it's it's really mainland, central, you know, goat herding territory. I have two separate heritages. My father's family is Greek and my mother's family is Irish. And so, and they're both really, really strong cultures, really big cultures and so I've been raised almost as two people you know (laughs) not on purpose but these two cultures have been just massive in my life and so instead of one winning which I I used to think that would have to happen eventually but instead of that I've just said well they're both equal in me and so sometimes I go to the Greek side and I get very spiritual and I I love doing work around the goddess archetypes and I love creating performances based on the goddess archetypes, especially from the Greek myths. Uh, I love making feminist statements with them. I love um, really challenging people's idea of of what's accepted, what's not on a stage. You know, I can get into that. The Greek connection feels like it enables me to do that and go into those places but then the the uh, British connection Irish it's mainly Irish and Welsh but I'm sure there's other things thrown in there that really informs how um <laughs> pussycat he's so cute the the Irish side and the English side really informs the comedy a lot of the comedy that I write and that I make. Um, I've always found English comedy the funniest, even if, you know, no matter if it's uh, Fry and Laurie doing absolutely highbrow, intellectual, verbose, uh, conversational comedy, or, as I said, bottom, you know, where they're just punching each other and swearing. (laughs) I find it equally funny and equally uh, enjoyable. Tell us how you... Uh, approached this little project here responding to things found in books this was excellent because after the last 12 months where everyone's life went a bit crazy (laughs) and people were honestly at one extreme or the other you know during that and it was I certainly was at both extremes sometimes at the same time (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, that's what it felt like. And so I felt like all my creativity started to drain away and I was getting really worried uh, that this was now how things are and this was now how I am and maybe I'm not creative anymore or maybe I'm just stressed all the time now. <laughs> you know, and I, I bet everyone else in the world thought that or is thinking that. So I was just going, oh, well, I just, I'll take a break. And then you came along with this box of stuff and I just love ephemera. I've been obsessed with it for years and years and years. And I go on eBay and I just type in ephemera and look at interesting little cards and things. And this was an entire box. The first bit that was really, really spoke to me was a business card, a tiny plain white business card with really fine delicate copper plate writing and it just said Mr R Twentyman and it just looked so elegant and and simple and he was intriguing instantly he was really intriguing who is he where is he from uh, and the name suggested a sort of an English background a British background to me and so he was instantly just somebody I wanted to meet and then I found a bookmark from a library from a P&O cruise ship and it was just fascinating because for one ignorantly I didn't know there were libraries on cruise ships <laughs> um, and I just thought it would be a brilliant setting for something, a library on a cruise ship. And then, of course, my, my mind just instantly went back into the past, into England, uh, into that library on the cruise ship. And, and what's happening there? Obviously, someone's been murdered. <laughs> so instantly, I had this feeling of a Poirot-type mystery. It's, it's a little bit rough, but I, I hope that people get the idea and get the joke. <laughs> good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to this evening's entertainment brought to you with good cheer by the Waring Radio Company. We hope you're comfortable for tonight's penultimate instalment of our popular thriller, Mystery at Sea. Our passengers cruising the English coast aboard the RMS Aquitania, are anxiously awaiting news after the sudden murder of Mr. Peregrine Augustus Blather, Blather to his friends. After three days of investigations, the ship's detective, Mr. Remington Twentyman, has summoned our band of unlikely friends to the library on board, and as we begin, they are preparing in anticipation for what will be an intriguing evening. Good evening, Lady Blather. Champagne? Oh, good evening, Jeeves. Yes, please. Oh, Mr. Twentyman. How could this have happened? Who thought that a simple spring cruise up to York is knob would end in such tragedy? My son, my wonderful son. Good evening, Lady Blather. Please go through. Well, hello there, handsome. 
I'm sorry, Miss Green. All right, be like that then. Is that old Batlax here yet? If you are referring to the Lady Blather... Oh, all right, here I go. Wish me luck. By the way, my name's Doris. Oh, Jeeves, am I late? Is this the library? I didn't know ships had libraries. Who's here? God awful business, you know. Good evening, Sir Reedsdale. Uh, Jeeves, call me Chippers. Only Mummy calls me that. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for your attendance. I do hope this night will be very illuminating. Before I begin... Come on, Albert, you dithering idiot. I'm so sorry, my darling Cecily. I will have dry martini, not too dry, you stupid man. Yes, my pet. If I could bring your attention to the purpose of this evening, Lord Blather, son of Lady Blather, was three nights ago murdered, cruelly, and in cold blood aboard this very ship. After consideration of the evidence at hand, it is clear that each one of you had reason to kill him. <gasps> Bladder had no heir. As such, his vast fortune belongs in its entirety to one of you. Oh, I what you're talking about. I How hold in my hand the last will and testament of the late Lord Bladder. Whomever is named in this document is the prime suspect. Excuse me, sir. If you wouldn't mind, there has been something of a problem with the cannabis. I'm afraid they'll be late. I'm sure we'll manage. Not to worry, Jeeves. Now, where was I? Well, look here. I couldn't have done it, could I? And why is that, Sir Reedsdale? I know you had borrowed a great deal of money from Bladder, and that he was threatening you with violence should you not pay. Oh, yes, that. Oh, well, that was all taken care of yonks ago. Mama to the rescue once again. Hooray! What about this will, then, Twentyman? Are you going to read it out? Indeed, so that we may know exactly who has stood to gain a fortune and therefore had the biggest motive. Excuse me again, sir, but the monkeys have escaped the cargo hold and are currently discombobulating the passengers. Right. Thank you, Jeeves. Monkeys, you say? Well now, everybody, if I could please bring your attention back to the will. I beg your pardon, sir. It would seem that in order to escape the aforementioned monkeys, certain members of our passenger manifest thought it'd be best to hurl themselves overboard. What? In the... overboard? Right! Well, Jeeves, will you please ensure nothing else interrupts us? Certainly, sir. Oh, Mr. Twentyman, I cannot hold it in any longer. <laughs> Go to the lavatory, man! No, I mean, my dark and hideous secret. I cannot bear it any longer. Now, now, Albert. There's no need for nonsense like this. Oh, please allow me to explain. Bladder and I were quite deeply attached. It began innocently enough with a friendship at school that then developed into something so much more. And when he gave me the gift of... Well, I do have a fondness for the leather undergarments. Yes, thank you, Albert. Why don't you ask Doris here, his secretary, or should I say, lover. What? Well, we was gonna tell you soon. It just sort of happened. Must say, I was looking forward to having you as a mum-in-law, Lady Blather. That was rather more information than any of us bargained for. If we could just get to opening this document, it will give us the name of the killer. Pardon me, sir. I'm really sorry. If you would all please hide under the table until the pirates have gone. Until the what have gone? Uh, pirates, sir. We have been boarded by a gang of marauding pirates. Right! I cannot bear this any longer, Mr. Twentyman. Will you read that will, please? With pleasure! Or are we to be blown out of 
the seas by a volcano, besieged by a plague of agitated badgers, boarded by long tentacled invaders from the planet Uranus, demanding we take them to our captain? No? Right! Well, if there's no more interruptions, the person named in the last will and testament is... Excuse me, ladies and gentlemen. We have hit a giant iceberg and the ship's engines have burst into flames. If you could please evacuate to the lifeboats in an orderly fashion. Remember to tune in next week for the conclusion to our thrilling drama, Mystery at Sea! That was Mystery at Sea, produced by the one and only Sophie Levitsanis. Look out for the next episode. We do hope you enjoyed. As we've seen, the world of the imagination, whether it be with books, music, comedy, can open doorways to unexpected places and create communities and a dynamic sense of place and home. Our book seeds in this episode to explore these ideas were Hugh Kenner's Elsewhere Community, The Atlas of Dream Places, and all the books that have made us dream of other places and cultures. Thanks so much for listening. This episode of Gather with Minerva's Books and Ideas was produced by me, Amy Silamanis, with sound engineering by the amazing Dave Byrne, and the mini radio play Mystery at Sea was produced by Sophie Livetsanis and family. Thanks to all for being good sports. Music featured includes Ellen Sorensen's Minerva's Idea, specially commissioned for Gather, snippets from the records Bazookies of Greece and Music of the Greek Islands. You also heard my grandmother's music box playing Never on Sunday. And Belle Chen... In order, we heard Aquatics, music from home from afar at the Australian Music Centre, sounds from home improvisations from China and Lebanon, Moonspotting, live remake, and S. Lillian. Thank you also to her lovely manager, Burke Turner, for helping us with those tracks. Huge thanks to our guests and go and check out their work. Sarah Common from University College Dublin, musician extraordinaire Belle Chen and Ballarat's own Sophie Livetsanis. And we'll have all that listed with the episode details as well. You can find us online at minervasbooks.com or on Facebook and Instagram. And remember, you can support the show in various ways, from one-off or recurring donations, buying the collages that accompany each episode, or even by buying books. Book sales from Minervas have funded the Things Found in Books Commission in this episode. So help us showcase other creative folks in the future, or let us know if you're interested yourself. And if you have or know of any kindred businesses that might like to sponsor the show, get in touch and support locally produced creative media. Thanks again. Our next episode will be exploring songlines, myth and fairy tales. So make sure you're subscribed and we'll see you then. A word from Minerva the Cat to close. <laughs> That's really loud. Sorry, people, you're just going to have to <laughs> have purring. I quite love that there's cat purr. I'm a cat person.